Who do you want to be as a leader? What are the blind spots you're missing? If you had a magic wand and you could change anything about your workplace, what would you do with it? These are the kinds of questions we explore on Inspirational Leadership. I'm your host, Kristen Harcourt. I'm a keynote speaker, emotional intelligence coach, and leadership trainer who partners with executives and emerging leaders who want to achieve extraordinary results for themselves and their organizations. You're in the right place if you're ready to cultivate the self-awareness to be the leader you were born to be. Let's go on this journey together. Welcome to Inspirational Leadership. I'm your host, Kristen Harcourt, and we have another fabulous, fabulous guest. I think I met her in 2017, if I remember correctly. She's going to let me know, but I immediately loved her and everything she's about, and I know you well as well. So today I'm speaking with Syed Wakeman, who is a drama researcher, New York Times bestselling author, and 2023 world's number one leadership guru, who is recognized for her reality-based approach to leadership. Backed by over 25 years of unparalleled experience, partnering with top brands spanning all industry, all industries, Sai's philosophy offers a modern approach to leadership in which employees and managers alike can deliver better results with less drama, higher engagement, without entitlement, and more happiness in even the most challenging workplace realities. Sai's avid fan base online has surpassed 250,000 followers. Her reality-based leadership new- newsletter that often goes viral within organizations reaches over 30,000 raving fans who discuss and apply her modern leadership techniques each and every day with their teams. Welcome to the show, Sai. Thank you so much. Great to be here. And yeah, it was, I think, love at first sight when I um, heard your work and you heard my work. It was like we found kindred spirits. I love it. Was the first one time you came to work human? Was it 2017 or before that? I can't remember. My first time, I think, was in Austin. Was that Austin? Austin? I I don't know if you, maybe you were 2016 because the first one I went to was 2015. And then I I remember you were there several times after that. Yeah. Yeah. I get to go back this year. So for everybody who hasn't signed up for work human, let's uh, let's get that uh, done. Love them. And I'm so bad with dates. Like I had to fill out the form and I couldn't even remember when my third son was born. I'm like, I had to look it up. I was like, I had mental block. I'm like, oh my God. I am the same way. I am totally the same way. Yes. Anyone who is not familiar with Work Human, a quick plug for them. It's happening again in Austin this year and it's going to be in uh, April. I think it's like April 15th, like the midweek, April 15th. I think around there. Yeah. Check out the website, Work Human Live. Love their conference and you'll get to see Sai in person. Yes. Sai, tell me a little bit more before we get into the amazing work you're doing in the world. What got you to this work? Tell us more about your journey here. You know, without revising history, because a lot of people go back and go, oh, when I was a little kid, I knew. But I can honestly say when I was um, really young, there was a lot of conflict in my family and a lot of um, people missing the opportunity to just accept each other and love each other. And there's a lot of people convinced other people were the issue. And I remember as a little kid, just craving peace and thinking, this just doesn't have to be that hard. Like I didn't have the words for it, but it was like a lot of the suffering is really optional. And as I went on my own path, I discovered like the Course of Miracles in my twenties. I had discovered Byron Katie's work and, and um, just to allow my own evolution and my own work 
which then really informed, I think, as I became a counselor and I worked as a leader, really informed my work in a way that um, we need to really understand the human condition. So we need to understand how the mind works and how the world works. And, and then as leaders, a lot of the common leadership philosophy is really focused on like the power of a leader is what we tell other people and how we evaluate them and what they need to change and all this projection and like, and what I saw as a counselor and the leadership was such a disconnect. As a counselor, it was all about what are my boundaries and what do I need to do to, you know, make beautiful invitations to others and where do I need to grow next to um, participate in this world more elegantly. And yet in leadership, we we're all about leaders must engage the people. And, and I just saw that as a big disconnect. So as I was doing my master's work, I was keenly interested in a more modern um, philosophy about leadership that really talked about one's own evolution, because you can't lead somebody where you haven't been, and really use more of the competencies of a good facilitator therapist rather than the traditional leadership philosophy. So it, it began early. I was keenly interested in the spiritual evolution piece and then saw how um, leadership philosophy was, to me, off really off base and really, um, you know, couple that with the hustle culture and where we only measure people by metrics and and we just really went down the path of ego. And I want to bring people back from that ego path. Yes. Yes. I think it's so important. I think I, I just notice in workplaces, there's a shift happening. I've seen it over the last 10 years, but it's getting more and more this awareness for the organizations that are ready to do it. Like it's just not working. The system's not right. And we have to build a new system. And I think um, you, the world is so ready for your work. So I'm going to talk through a lot of different concepts that you speak eloquently about that I think people listening to the podcast right now is just going to help them like they're going to hear as you're talking, there's a story that's going to come up for them that's happening right now, probably in their workplace. And they think it needs to look one way and you're going to help them see there's a completely different pathway. And it's great because the wonderful thing about this pathway is it's empowered and you don't have to control others to take this pathway. Yeah. So the first one, I remember this slide and it's stuck with me and I've shared it over and over again and told people this one, which is around ego is not your amigo. So some people are going to hear the word ego and it's going to be, they think of ego in terms of somebody who's very arrogant and has an ego, but there's a much deeper uh, a definition when it comes to ego. So tell us a little bit around ego and how ego can get us into some trouble. Sure. Yeah. We tend to assign the name ego or egotistic to a certain brand of ego, but we all have egos and when we're about two years old, the egos serve us well. They help us separate out and identify ourselves as individuals. And, and I don't know that we can ever get rid of them. I think that most people don't understand when they're being played by their own ego because they don't really know how their mind works or they deny. They're like, I'm a really generous person. I have no ego. But a lot of times we use generosity to control people. It's like help is the sunny side of control. Like, so if we're living an unexamined or unreflected life, um, we may think that we have no ego and other people have a lot of ego, which is actually an ego lens. So ego really is part of the human condition. 
is the most primitive part of our brain and we overuse it. So ego is a lens that we can see the world through that really limits us into polarized thinking, um, feeling like a victim, feeling somebody else is a victim or a villain like us versus them. Ego really takes a big, complex, three-dimensional, beautiful world and boils it down into the most simplistic terms with the same storyline. I'm a victim, you are the villain, and I am helpless. And the only way out of this is for you to change. So any of you who are thinking that your problem is all these other people, um, that's an ego view of the world. It's like having a pair of prescription glasses on that are the wrong prescriptions. So my best advice to people is like, stop believing everything you think. And my best, you know, invitation in coaching is, wow, I would question that. Is that true? Can you possibly know that to be true? Um, what do you know for sure? And starting there with that type of self-reflection of anything you're suffering with loosens the ego's grip on your world. It, um, it changes everything without changing anything because we get you into more clear thinking. If we can get you from story to facts, because um, what the ego does is it takes facts and adds story and distorts our reality and everything from there is, is uh, moves in a way that's unhelpful. Um, so yeah, so that's a starting conversation about your ego is not your amigo. Most people don't realize how often our ego is playing us and how delusional we really are most of our day. Yeah. And as you were saying that, because I think there's times where people might have positive intent. So I'm going to move over to another uh, way that I think the ego shows up. That's a little bit more sneaky, which is where the ego is being more of the rescuer. And so I see this with a lot of HR leaders where like, oh, we're creating space for people to vent. That's me helping people to vent. And, um, and yet that's not actually empowering them. So I want to speak to that one. We're talking about the ego as well, because I think there's a lot of people who believe creating space for venting. They think that by doing that, it's giving the individual an opportunity, like they'll do all the venting and then all of a sudden they'll get to solutions. But there's something that you suggest when people get into venting that I think is much more effective. Yeah, I think in so many ways, um, especially in HR, we can get into the trap of looking at all those bad people out there and complaining like how, um, Sai, I want to know how to hold people accountable. And I'm like, you probably can't, but you can stop enabling people. And most folks are really, um, they protect the ego and they don't want to admit to the enabling and the codependency and the things that they do. Um, but a lot of times people will say, you know, I really uh, think people need time to vent and to get feelings off their chest. And it's a common misunderstanding because sharing feelings and venting are very different. Venting is a behavior like worrying. It is something I do with my feelings and it's not all that helpful. And, you know, so it's like, well, it feels good. Well, so does binging on a gallon of ice cream, but it's not all that helpful. So does, you know, snorting cocaine, but as a lifestyle, it's just not that helpful. And so, and I joke with that, not to joke about drug use, but so many things, if we put different language around them, we would see how kind of preposterous it was. And so, so many people are like, don't people need time to vent? And my premise on that is we do need people that have the ability to self-reflect and share feelings. But post-self-reflection, feelings are usually like a sentence long, like I am frustrated. Yeah. And then there's some context. I'm frustrated that 
My colleague didn't give me the information I needed in a timely manner. And now I probably will need to work after hours to get this report due that I committed to. So clean, so beautiful. That's not venting, that's sharing feelings. The venting is the story I use to hold on to the feeling, feed it, support it, justify it. And the story is, you know, my colleague, Sarah, does this crap on purpose and she's trying to discredit me. And ever since she got a promotion, she's had this thing against me that she's coming after me and like she wants to block me and ruin my reputation and she doesn't value my contribution and she's a microaggressor and she's a this and she's a that. Like, whoa, time out. Because now we've left feeling to venting. And what we need to be able to do as leaders is validate the experience, no toxic positivity. Like you shouldn't feel that way or chill out or, you know, some days are like that. No, I hear you're very frustrated. And the key to this is not validate the sense someone's making of the experience. She does this on purpose. Can you possibly know that for sure? No. She's trying to discredit me. Can you possibly know that for sure? No. So once you are out of story, there's not a lot to vent on. I can come to you as my leader and go, I'm so frustrated. Sarah didn't give me information in time. And now I'm behind an eight ball on my deadline. There's not a lot more to vent on. We move into problem solving. Now that you're clear thinking, you have a deadline, you're behind the eight ball. What could you do to meet the deadline? Yeah. It's like, how can you make it happen? Or can you radically accept that sometimes things happen like that? Right. You really only have two courses of action, impact or radical acceptance. But a lot of people want this third option where I just want to stay invent about it. Mm. It won't impact it. Mm -hmm. And it won't help my peace of mind to love people up and accept it. But I want to see in this constant turmoil and the ego loves that. Because the ego loves for you to avoid self-reflection. And that's exactly what it venting is. It's the ego's way of avoiding self-reflection. Because if I am chronically underserved by one of my colleagues, the self-reflection is not why do they treat me this way? It's where do I need to evolve so that I can connect with them differently and set a boundary or make an invitation or incubate myself from the effects of this so that I can deliver on time without the stress. And yeah. so it may be putting something on their calendar ahead of time. A lot of people are like, well, I shouldn't have to. That's your ego. Right. Right. Exactly. Because they say when you're in that energy, you're stuck in that energy. And the worst part too, is you don't even have access to creative thinking skills when you're in that because it's so intense. Whereas when you get down, when you get grounded again, and then can, and I love what you said there too, because this isn't about anyone, because I think that is a really good distinction that you brought up there, because I think sometimes people are uh, mistaking venting with giving someone space to feel their feelings, which is not the same thing at all, because this yeah. is not about us saying, oh, you should not feel your feelings. Um, Sai and I are big believers in feeling your feelings, <laughs> but it's not saying stuck in reactivity yeah. and feeling feelings should dissipate them venting yes. intensifies them exactly. how do you know if you're venting are your feelings dissipating yes. you know are you crying and letting it out or are you ruminating and keeping it alive and you know i'm feeling feelings is i'm in the same space and i tell you my heart is heavy and i'm sad and maybe shed a tear venting is i tell 20 people i'm sad because i was wronged and i make sure everybody knows about it yeah like it's just once you get into it's very very 
um, it, it's different. It really is different. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more when you think about drama and drama in the workplace, uh, it happens in lots of different ways. So I think one of the things that it's really important for people to know is sometimes the organization is operating a certain way. And then Sai, you might come in and be like, well, I think there's some ways we could do this a little bit differently. So the word drama can mean a lot of different things to people. But when you start to think about drama showing up in the workplace, what, what do some of those drama type issues, challenges tend to look like? So we see drama as wasted energy. Okay. So everybody's talking about well-being, and, you know, you really can do your job with a lot less effort and a lot less stress. And it's not about hiring more people or narrowing your job down or quiet quit. Like there's so many ways we try and limit our stress, except for um, really looking at our mental processes. So drama is emotional waste, any energy that goes away from results and well-being. So it's the leak. It's like energy in what leaks out on the way to results and your own well-being. And the, the way I look at drama, the reason I wanted to define it as emotional waste is that we know a lot about how to get rid of waste in the workplace. Lean, Six Sigma, it's all about process improvement. Well, if drama is emotional waste, then how do we rid ourselves of this waste? It's improving mental processes, right? So if it's emotional and mental, and that we have so much research on good mental processes, depersonalization, um, using and where many things can be true at once instead of getting polarized, questioning your thinking, self-reflection, all of those things. So I was really excited once I could scientifically show a definition of drama, we could quantify it, and then we could show um, how it showed up. And then here's my most important work, is I could take what we were teaching leaders and HR and how we're setting up our departments and divisions and see if it would actually even help under the new de definition. Yeah. So the way drama shows up, we have kind of five big categories. Um, drama shows up as ego, venting, gossiping, storytelling, venting in the form of a survey. Like I can look at people's engagement surveys and see if people are venting or giving feedback. Venting, what you'll see is there's very little um, diversity in the range of their answers. Everything is shit. Pardon my French. Yeah. Everything is bad. Not one thing is going good at work. The leaders don't care. It, you know, like you can't trust them. And But true feedback shows like for the most part, things are fours and fives. And here's a little something I would point out to you that we could work on next. That's reasonable feedback from people who are beyond ego who are giving kind of a broader perspective, right? So ego is a lot of character assassination. It is believing that um, your problem is everybody else. It's believing you're surrounded by idiots and you're kind of a genius, or if you're a victim or you have to be the hero and the martyr and the rescuer, the world just couldn't work without you. Um, that's ego. The second source is lack of accountability. So not finding your space of agency, not being able to readily answer, what's my part in this mess? What is my part in this chronic issue? What is my part in the solution? What am I willing to do? And that's really half the drama. 
We also have drama that comes from people giving up their agency and outsourcing their happiness. Buy-in, I'll buy-in and be engaged and committed as long as you make sure reality is perfect and I never get something at the last minute and I'm always communicated to and I always feel cared about and you are in charge of my psychological safety. So a lot of drama comes when I outsource, I don't share accountability and I outsource um, my uh, engagement, my buy-in. The way we've set up change and that, you know, you go through this big grief cycle and, uh, um, and, and it's something that happens to you and it's something we need to nurture you through rather than you need to be skilled up and ready for what's next as if you are victimized by change, big source of drama. We're way off track there. And the way we think about engagement, we also have created a big source of drama. So humans bring in two forms of drama. Ego and lack of accountability, that's half. Organizations and the way we've set up HR have fueled three more sources of drama. And, um, and, and so like we've taken drama and made it worse, not better. Um, and so when we look at how to clear up drama, we know we've got to get out of verbal communication and out of thinking about it. And if you think about most meetings at work, we get together to think about stuff and, and verbally communicate. We at reality-based leadership are, are just so vigilant about take all stress and war to paper or visual. It's gotta get conscious and visible. It's gotta get out from beyond the projection of the ego and, and see it. And so we have tools. And the first thing we want you to do is use tools to clear up your thinking self-reflection. If you step into leadership without checking yourself before you wreck yourself, you're not leading. Like if you step into, I see this and I know what they need to do, you are not leading. Leading or influencing starts with, let me see this clearly. What story have I created? Let me edit that story. What do I know for sure? Once you're there, you can't jump into creativity and problem solving yet. The next step is to find your place of agency. What's my part in this? What is my role in the solution? And sometimes I don't have a role in the solution. It's not my business. Like it's not mine to touch. It's not mine to worry about. People have, you know, can do what they want to do. I just need to stop protecting them from reality. Somebody's like, I don't like working for this boss. I'm like, what are the odds of that boss changing dramatically anytime soon? None. So you can stay and get skillful in working with this boss, or you can joyfully leave and peacefully move on. No, I want the third option. I want to stay. I want for them to change. and I'm going to complain about it. And I'm like, well, what are the odds of that option working? Like people are like, so I do something. And I'm like, I can't change reality. I can't change your boss. You're the one with free choice. So you would just have me leave. I would have you do nothing. So I should stay. I don't know the answer to that. I know for me that I choose to take lessons presented to me and evolve beyond the lesson so that when I make a choice to leave or go, I either stay in joy. And if I can't do that, I leave in peace. Well, what should I do? Only you can know. Now, that's not the typical HR person. You know, the typical HR person is, oh my gosh, let me take this down and I'll go talk to your boss. And we'll see if we can change them. And, and I'm not talking, we don't protect people from aggressions and, and, and the big stuff, but I'm talking about all the little stuff we get involved in to avoid looking at our own stuff. Mm -hmm. So we help people take agency and then with clear thinking, 
in a place where you're self-reflecting, you've toggled up into the best part of your brain out of ego. That's what accountability does. Yeah. Now you're ready to use tools to say, not what should life be like, but given the life we have, given this reality, how could we create amazing solutions? And most leaders are leading people with um, unclear thinking. They've not um, gotten to the root of the problem. Lack of accountability into wishing for a different future. That's just a folly. And what we end up doing is reinforcing people's view that you are the victim here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we just create this, this crazy oh, cycle. So much rich stuff and everything you said there. I mean, I think first of all, so much of everyone's suffering comes from arguing with reality. Like yeah, it's, don't all want it's like pain's inevitable people. Right. I've had lots of pain in my life. Pain's yes. inevitable. Suffering yes. optional. Yes. Yes. There's there's going to be these things that happen. And I don't think that, I think some people think, well, it's disempowering when I, I, when I sometimes talk about acceptance or surrender, they're like surrender. That's like helpless and powerless. I'm like, no, 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 you're, you're misunderstanding that word. It's so passive. The most active thing I can do, the, the most challenging thing I can do is compassionately acknowledge reality as it really is and you know meet life on life's terms like it's not how i wish it would be but it's here and i think that's the first step surrendering is is as simple as this naming whatever came your way as neutrally as possible as an unpreferred reality i had someone who didn't live up to a commitment to me yeah i i don't love that i wish it were different if I name it like, you know, betrayal and being wronged, I am stuck in this. But what if this is, is an unpreferred reality? Yeah. It's not my yes. favorite. That puts me in a position of neutrality where I'm not the victim. There are no villains. I'm off the drama triangle. And it just says, given this unpreferred reality, you know, what can I do next to live the life I want to live? And that's where you find all the conditioning comes in. Like, well, um, what will people think of me? It's like, well, another great question. Am I willing for people to be wrong about me to live the life I want to live? Mm-hmm. And can I go live that without making other people wrong? Yeah. This is unpreferred reality. Not my favorite. Here's yes. what I want for myself. And can we just move on without somebody having to be the wrong person here? Yes. And getting to that place of neutrality is so important. Well, for sure, because then from that other place, we were talking about this pre-recording is when you're in such a heightened state like that, you can't even have access to your creative thinking as you get into that neutral, then you start to say, okay, well, what is the next right action that feels right for me? It might be, okay, it, it is what it is. And that person didn't honor that commitment. Well, what, what do I need? What do I know about this? I'm just thinking, you know, let's say I'm an entrepreneur and I had that. Okay. I might not work with that person again. They're not the yeah. right person for me in terms of honoring the commitment. Good Great learning know. opportunity. Good to know. Right. It's, but it gets so heightened and it gets so messy when we create, like you said, these, these quite often very elaborate stories too. I have to say, like, it's so interesting yeah. when I'll be in a coaching and, and, and they'll be sharing. I'm like, wow, like that's quite the story. And I get it right. We're meaning making machines. So we need to create yeah. a story, but if you're going to create a story anyways, maybe you change the story that's going to serve yeah. you and the situation a lot better. 
Yeah. If you have to create a story, why not create it a benefit of the doubt? Like instead of that person walked by me and didn't say hello, they're rude and they think they're better than me. You don't know that. And if you need to create a story, you're always co-creating. Make up a decent story. Yeah. I'm going to make up a story and choose to believe they're deep in prayer meditation and didn't see me. <laughs> My next interaction with them is very different based on the story I made up, neither of which I know to be true, but benefit of the doubt, it's like, like the true professional. And you're so right about having access to your best self, your highest self, the best part of your brain and thinking, your innovative self. We envision it like a toggle on your forehead, like a little light switch. When you're toggled down and you're seeing the world through um, ego, you really have are become imprisoned with your story. So during COVID, some of the nurses I worked with um, stated the fact we don't have the protective equipment that we need. And that seemed really true by all accounts. Mm. The story they added to it is so obviously that is a clear signal that leadership doesn't care about us or our safety. Uh, yeah. Now here's the prison when they were in toggled down, seeing the world through ego. I'm like, so what are your options? Like what ideas do you have to change this? They're like nothing. Mm. Leadership doesn't care. Mm. They're the ones with money. We can't just like, I'm like, wow, you've locked yourself in. So let's toggle up. So get out of ego into Instead of your most primitive brain, fight, flight, you know, freeze or fun. Let's toggle up and look at through self-reflection. How do you toggle up self-reflection? I said, so when do you know for sure we have we don't have the equipment we need? What if, let's just entertain this, just an imitation, leadership did care about you? What if that were a different tagline? Because I think they might. They brought me in, like they're really concerned. Would that change the options? And people were just like, well, of course, we would take our ideas to them about getting <laughs> master dental offices and that would change everything. Yeah. And I'm like, how do you change everything without changing anything? There's nothing in their reality that changed. Fascinating. Their story changed and opened up everything. I am convinced that very little needs to change in my world for my world to change. All of what needs to change is my thinking. And it is not toxic positivity. It is seeing the world for how it really is. And back to your surrendering. Surrendering is the most active thing you can do because when I question my own thinking, I'm surrendering that feeling of certainty and safety that I can know what's going on so that I can not have to participate in anything risky. See, if I know leadership doesn't care about me, I don't have to take a risk. Victims don't take risk. I'm a victim. A risk is, hey, I have some ideas and they aren't well thought out and I've got to take a risk. And you might question my ideas and I may find some of them don't make sense and won't work. But if we're not willing to get vulnerable and we're not willing to um, do that messy stuff, meet in the messy middle, then our ego serves us well because our ego keeps us out of any messiness where it would ever have to look less than perfect or trust anyone, even if they're valuable human beings or forgive anyone. It would never have to feel any feelings or negativity. It, and then what people tell me is life is pretty boring. It's one dimensional. Um, the storyline's the same. Everybody's bad. I'm amazing. Um, and, and they feel like they're depressed. And they don't see the world in three dimensions. And the only way to see the world in three dimensions is to get out there in the mass. Yeah. Yeah. Feel the grief, feel the happiness, the excitement, the, the, you know, victory and the loss. 
Yeah. I think that's so important in terms of those ways where you don't realize you're protecting yourself from having that courageous conversation. And I think the other piece I was hearing as you were, we're talking about getting into the fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. Uh, sometimes it can just be noticing, Ooh, my thoughts. And I'm, I'm noticing how stuck I am in the guck right now. So I'm going to, and this feels so counterintuitive. I can think of so many times where I might be, I'm pushing so hard for something, or my mind is almost hurting with the thinking. And then I'll just pause and stop everything I'm doing and go outside for a walk and be in nature for five minutes. That's it. Five minutes. And I come back, it doesn't even, nothing looks the same. So it's also when you're noticing you're in that pushing and again, going back to the resisting reality, sometimes it's like, okay, just take a step back and take a a break from what feels so intense. It's pulling in your attention at that time, because then all of a sudden you're going to have more access to those, to those resources, your most resourceful self. Which is so wise for you. And the research should really support the somatic experience. Like we think that if we're thinking, the way to get out of that is more thinking. And actually the way um, to begin moving through something differently is embodying. And that is following your breath, whether it's Eckhart Tolle talks about in the power of now, or um, the best thing to do when you're feeling stressed is to breathe and follow your breath back into your body. Most people don't realize that the ego does this thing I call intellectualizing feelings into grievances. So and we have to be very careful of this and it's love the ego. You don't banish it. Um, just be compassionate towards it. So when I wake up in the morning, I do kind of a body scan because I'm kind of a nerdy counselor, yoga girl. But I do a body scan and I just look energetically like where, where what's going on in my body? Because my body really does tell the story for me. And what I notice a lot of mornings is that I am not breathing very deeply after I wake up. Like I have some anxiety in my chest. Now, what most people do is they go, oh, I'm feeling anxious. And then they intellectualize it. I wonder what that's about. Oh, I know. Ding, ding, ding. I found it. My boss doesn't communicate with me. And then HR is off problem solving. Okay. What if, if we all learned adulting, which is what I wish we in HR did a more teaching people self-regulation. But what we did was we said, that's not professional development. That's personal development, which is what the ego did to get all that crap out of the workplace. Said you can't really be involved in that business. And employers are saying, we want well-being. Um, well, we'll give you a yoga program. I'm like, well, give them a feeling, on, give them a course on adulting, right? But what happens is I now believe wholeheartedly that my anxiety is really a grievance. So I took my feeling and intellectualized it into a grievance that my boss doesn't communicate everything to me, which is also probably true because that's impossible. A better approach when I feel anxiety is to say, oh my gosh, this is so good to know. I'm walking with anxiety today. How can I move through the world more carefully? So when I have anxiety, I think people can read my mind. I need to be careful of that. I need to be very clear and use my words. Um, I need to uh, be careful with others. I need to understand I tend to overreact. So given my anxiety, I'm going to walk through the world more intentionally today. And that's going to be my self-care. I'm going to ask for clarification. Bizarrely enough, think about cures for anxiety. One is I'm in touch with it. So when we get on a podcast, I go, I'm kind of feeling like more anxiety than usual about getting on this podcast. Can you make sure and give me leading questions? Can you, can you help me? Right. And then I've taken care of myself. I've said it to another person. You've been able to connect with me. I feel so connected to the human race. 
Instead, I go to HR and go, can somebody work on my boss's communication style, which will never happen. Like, right? We can't make bosses perfect communicators. Can we improve it? Sure. But my anxiety then is going to be built because it knows that the solution has no chance of helping and I feel no relief. And that is the part we play in and able in my role in HR when we work on the wrong thing. Now, do I want to work on your boss's communication? Yes, but why not share in that accountability? Let's also work on how you walk through the world given you have some anxiety. Yes. And I think what you just shared there is really important when it comes to just even understanding your needs, because I think a lot of people listening, if I were to ask them, can you tell me a little bit more about your needs? They'd say, well, well I don't I, what do you mean? What's that question? Because they haven't really taken that time. And I think so much of what we're talking about today, and it's so important for all leaders uh, listening, is it always starts with you. It starts with your own inner journey. And the more you understand about yourself and those di different idiosyncrasies and what you specifically need, which is not a one size fits all, what's going to support you when these certain things show up. I think it's really important what you shared there because you realize, okay, I know that my need, like how beautiful is that side, right? Like you just knowing like, I'm going to go on to this conversation and I'm going to articulate my needs. And how often do people actually want to support you once they know what your needs are, but they're not communicated. And it's different than transferring my anxiety. I'm anxious, Kristen, so yeah. you'd be super careful. Yeah. No, I'm exactly. anxious. And so the invitation is, would you help me with something? Can And, and, and you know, this is a, a conversation I'm making up, but like, would you help me with this? And I think it's so important because here's what we know as counselors and therapists. Most of us go into counseling to, to be counselors, to avoid our own stuff, okay? To continue our dysfunctional helping role. What counselors, what happens to them, however, in a good program is people go, time out, you get to go to counseling first. Yeah. And we are going to teach you about your own projection. And we're going to teach you about um, how you um, transfer stuff to others. And we're going to teach you about working your own program. So hopefully you can show up and hold some clean space for others. People go into leadership to avoid their own stuff. They were first super achievers, high achievers, probably... Um, you know, a trauma response, <laughs> little boundaries. They got a lot of rewards for giving too much and, you know, not asking for what they need and not being self-regulating and being willing to kind of be part of the environment that doesn't honor well-being. So that was leaders. And then the probably most dysfunctional of us got into HR, quite honestly, like let's have no power as far as leadership and let's get paid less in the organization and let's be predominantly female in the beginning and, um, you know, let's have no power and no resources and um, people can transfer all their problems to us. Like that's like the, the definition of codependency in a family. And the missing pieces is we don't take HR or leaders and say, if you're going to be in these very prominent roles, then we have to teach you how to do your own work so yeah. that you're not just um, fueling your dysfunction through these roles. So I've never talked about this on air before. So if this is blowing people's mind, sorry to burst your bubble. I'm getting brave in my fifties, but <laughs> you know, as a counselor, you spend four years of them helping you understand how you're the biggest piece of somebody's problem in the beginning, be careful, but we don't do that with leader or leadership or HR. Yes, a hundred percent. And I think that's something that I noticed shows up so much for HR and people who have gravitated towards that. I can't tell you how many times I'm having conversations around self-advocacy around 
they are completely advocating for other leaders to get executive coaching, but who, who am I, who am I as HR? And I'm like, what, excuse me, excuse me. Who are you not? Like, what do you mean? Like it's a conversation and something I'm really passionate about around talking about this, because I think there's a huge, huge disconnect. And I love my HR peeps because quite honestly, they're the peeps where I'm like, you do amazing things with limited resources and little position power. And, um, but let's not partner in our own imprisonment, right? And and that's what we tend to do. Like so many people are like, how can I get them to? And I'm like, well, why don't we start with setting boundaries? And I'm like, okay, what boundaries should I tell them so that they change? I'm like, not boundaries. Boundaries are, you know, here's um, what I desire and, and need and want. And here's how I'll respond. I'd like to make the invitation, but if that's not met, here's how I'll respond with that. It's not about changing other people. It's about um, doing that for yourself. And, and, you know, so many people show up to me and they're like, why am I being treated this way? And, and my best question is like, why are you staying in this type of treatment? Why do you participate? Well, I have no other choices. Why have you left yourself with no choices? Mm-hmm. You know, well, I need this job. I'm like, oh my God, like you're amazing. Yep, you might need a job, but why are you, you know, thinking this is the only job for you? Um, some people are like, well, I've been in three jobs. They're all the same. Well, that's good information. What sense do you make of that? Right. And, um, you know, that, that, that three jobs are bad or are you underskilled in working in these types of environments? What if we skilled you up, then you could walk through the world more freely. Um, Psychological safety, people are like, you need to create that safety for me. Well, don't injure me and don't put me in moral injury, but I want my psychological safety portable. Mm. I want it to like, I want to wander freely in the world. Mm. And, you know, people are like, well, I need to trust Others, I need them to be trustworthy. I'm like, I think they're humans and they will fail you on a regular basis. And so what if trust isn't about them being perfect? What if trust is about me acknowledging and being very skilled in um, having conversation when things aren't feeling safe and protecting my own safety? Because the more I can do that, the less I have to control the world. I don't have to, you to behave well. I don't need the world to be totally safe. Like I can wander the world freely when I've evolved myself. And so a lot of people ask us in our company, like, what are your visions? What are you, you know, um, um, your values and typical HR stuff. And we just have mantras. We have hashtags. And the first hashtag is evolve yourself. Yeah. If you work for me, yeah. you need to be in the process of evolution. I want when you come to me with big feelings to say, I've self-reflected and I made up a story about you and I'm still hurt about this. I want to check if that story is true. Doesn't mean we don't hurt each other. And it doesn't mean we don't get into ego and story. We do not live drama free. It means that we know how to adult through the drama and diffuse it. And that that's what we do. Um, and so evolve yourself is one. And then the second one is love wins. Mm. And so much in the workplace that I've seen is that we're so aggressive towards one another. We either we enable, which leads to resentment, and then we come down hard. Um, but we we don't lead with love. And, you know, it's like, um, weirdly enough, like love is the answer. Like, even if I'm letting you know you you aren't a fit for my workplace, like, can I do that in a loving way? Um, and I think it takes a lot of evolution 
to be able to move through the world lovingly because you can't move through the world lovingly if you haven't done your personal work. You have to always be protecting and blaming and corrupting. And um, so the most loving people I see, not the passive ones, not the ones that are, it's fake love. The people who can just really love the mess and love the people in the mess are the ones who have done profound inner work. Yes. If, if people are watching on video, you can see all you need is love over there. And if you could see the shirt that I'm wearing right now, it says, oh my gosh, I love it. <laughs> so and if I want to in my bedroom, if I went to my bedroom um, from Danielle Laporte, who's amazing, yes. um, she has a quote and it said, um, there are many ways backwards, but only one way forward, love. Yes. I mean, I, I, I and, and listen, I'm human like everybody else. And there's sometimes that I disconnect from it, but I know when I'm connected in love, the way I show up for everybody in every relationship just feels magical, feels so much better. And that's the toggle up when you self-reflect, then it's like, after what do I know for sure? And we dissolve all the story and all that's left is the unpreferred reality. It is so easy to move into how can I help, which is a loving stance and innovation because love sees like all possibilities. Love is just a state of being open-minded and open-hearted and curious and compassionate. So whether it's internal family systems that we work with with clients or it's, you know, all these other techniques, if you really want to get to where you're a great leader and you're a great team member and you're a great human in that moment, just get your heart open and your mind open, get curious and compassionate, and then the whole world will unlock for you. Mm. Oh my gosh. I was going to ask you, what are those last words, your words of wisdom, but I don't need to ask you. Your last That's words. it. That's Both it. Of them right there. Oh my gosh. I love it. I so wonder cool. it was love at first sight and first meeting. <laughs> We're all about the love. Um, so I, where can people learn more about you and your work? So our company name is Reality Based Leadership, and that's just a .com in the end. That's our website. We do a lot of work out there. We have Reality Based Leadership podcasts. We have No Ego podcast at Cy Wakeman or at Alex Dorr, D-O-R-R. Um, we try and put out both personal and um, company um, information, but um, we would love for you to also tune into our podcast. And of course, I have lots of books out there. My last book was more personal. If you want to know more about some of the personal stuff we talked about, it's called Life's Messy, Live Happy. If you want a business book, that's no ego, but uh, we're we're out there and we're at, we're at some of your conferences. So <sighs> check us out. Yeah. This is, so, so I have so many great resources, uh, things uh, sign up for her newsletter, follow her YouTube yes. channel, follow her on LinkedIn, read her books, do her podcast, a wealth, a wealth of information. So I you just you- said everything my marketing people wish I would have said. <laughs> I figured about LinkedIn and YouTube and all that good stuff. Thank you for it's rescuing me. It's all amazing. Me. It's all amazing. Um, thank you so much for being here. Of course. Thanks for asking. Oh, and to everyone, you're going to like our, our closing that we always say. So to everyone, wherever you are in the world, I'm saying good morning, good afternoon, good evening, sending tons of love. Bye-bye. Please remember that meaningful change requires space and grace. Practice self-compassion and become the ripple. As you transform yourself, you transform your workplace and the people around you. <laughs>